Looking to stand out from the pack at your first job? When you earn a master's in management from Georgetown, you'll gain the skills employers value most, elevating your career prospects for years to come. Get started at choosegeorgetown.com slash MIM. Welcome to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. I'm Fred Fishkin at CES, still here with Alan Kornhauser, the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University. Hi, Alan. And indeed, we are still here with here. <laughs> we are, and it's here technologies. Alex Mangan, who is the Director of Product Marketing, thank you for joining us here, Alex. Yeah, wonderful to be here. Thanks for having me. For folks who aren't familiar with, with here, Tell us about the company. Yeah, uh, wonderful. So we're a location platform company. We've been in the business of location for the past 30 years. Um, we're transitioned from uh, a map company into a location platform company, quite a, quite a significant transition to build the, the digital representation of the phys- physical world. And uh, what that means for us is that we provide location intelligence uh, through applications and services, but also through location content to multiple different industries. Automotive has been uh, one of our primary businesses over the past 30 years, where we have uh, pretty strong market leadership, but also into transport and logistics, but also uh, into media and advertising, um, insurance and healthcare, public sector. and in a world where everything is becoming more and more connected uh, and data is becoming the new oil of the the ecosystem, location is a very critical component into helping um, provide context to data. The what, the when, the where, the why. Um, And location is a key component to answering those questions. And that's the business that we're in as as a location platform company. And so much of what we're seeing here at the Consumer Electronics Show has to do with self-driving vehicles, autonomous vehicles, and and what the present and the future hold, the role that you're playing there. Yeah. Um, So the the beauty of our business is that we've invested significantly over the past 30 years in understanding to a very granular level the road network. Um, And we have a a mapping asset that covers uh, the global spec of the road network um, uh, and that's something that within the automotive industry, we've been uh, partnering with our customers um, in the context of navigation uh, with a pretty strong market share, the lion's share of the market. Um, now, the evolution coming from navigation services into self-driving technology for us is not building a new asset. It's simply layering detail onto the existing asset that we have. So we're starting at a foundation, which is the best in the industry. And then we're using data, um, we're using machine learning algorithms, we're using artificial intelligence to be able to take the meter accurate map that we use for navigation today into a centimeter accurate map um, to support self-driving use cases. And that is looking at changing the road network from a series of links and nodes which tells us the direction of travel and um, the amount of lanes, but doesn't tell us how wide are those lanes. And now we're mapping that world to uh, a level of granularity, which is centimeters from curb to curb and also some furniture around uh, or what we call road furniture for localization purposes to be able to give the car a model of the world 
to understand where can I drive, um, how, how, how wide are the lanes, are they drivable, is that a shoulder, um, is it an HOV lane? And we see the map and our customers see the map as, as a redundancy function or um, a qualification function working in collaboration with the onboard sensors. So we help qualify questions that maybe sensors uh, are unsure about or can't answer, and that's where the map plays a significant role. Don't you also use it to uh, basically uh, provide uh, advanced information to the sensors so they know where to look at? I mean, you know, do they really know where to look at? Go ahead. Yeah, exactly. So great question. Um, One of the most fundamental roles of the map is to be able to see beyond the visibility of what um, today's technology can see. So at best, I think uh, sensors in the vehicle can see 300 meters. Uh, Yeah, maybe uh, in, in its in best performing conditions Uh, but what happens when there's a truck uh, sitting right in front of my car my camera uh, or radar can see the back of the truck or what happens when uh, there's a sharp curve in the road Um, uh, today's technology can't uh, bend uh, reality so the map uh, in that context plays a very critical role for providing insight into what's ahead in the road network and this is about a self-healing map Uh, And and that's one of the critical investments that we're making in not only building a very precise uh, representation of the road network, but building one that's updated in real time through crowdsourced sensor data so that what my car sees, um, I can be able to then communicate to the cloud and then back down to to vehicles that will be um, coming up on whatever my car saw, whether it's a lane closure or a slippery road or an accident in the road network. Um, And that's the function that uh, that the map and only the map can play to help provide comfort, to help provide foresight to vehicles so that they can behave in a very safe uh, and comfortable manner for, for consumers. Yes, and you've, as you mentioned, you've been doing this uh, in some sense forever and certainly um, uh, pioneered uh, the whole development and and at least until Google came along, maybe the last man standing or something almost. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and of course, uh, Google has gone out there and put in an enormous amount of, um, of, uh, of uh, investment in trying to catch up to you guys, yeah, right, in yeah. some sense. Uh, yeah. Yeah, certainly. So, I mean, Google is, is Google, right? So um, so they're doing a lot of things and doing a lot of things very well, no matter what kind of business we're talking about, self-driving, um, advertising, search. So um, Google is Google. Um, they have, in terms of, um, of the technology, they're doing the same thing that we are in terms of mapping the road network and understanding um, what a high-definition map is. Now the the difference is their approach to the market is is just a different approach than we're taking. Um, we're taking much more of a, a B2B collaboration approach with our customer base um, and they're taking a bit of an over-the-top approach. Um, and the other difference is uh, in terms of technology, they've been very vocal about the fact that this level three, level four area of automation is quite difficult this transition between manual driving and self-driving. Um, and they're pretty clear that they're skipping over that, moving into level five type of automation settings. Um, and we see a need um, because we're, we're, we're looked at because of our, our stature in automotive as 
strategic partners with our OEM customers, we see an evolutionary approach um, where we evolve with our customers through ADAS, through connected ADAS, through lower levels of automation, working our way into um, highly and fully automated functionality. Um, the market will parse out the way that it parts, parses out. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's an honor for us to play in the same space as, as a company like Google, for, for sure. But the approaches, uh, at least today, are, are fundamentally different, at least the go-to-market approaches. Yeah, well, I think, uh, you know, some of Google's uh, move to the, the driverless world is associated uh, more with their sensor suite than it is with their uh, map or digital map database suite. Yeah. And uh, while I have uh, I have no inside information, I, I really can't imagine that, in fact, uh, their uh, digital map database is really much is better than yours because uh, from from a from the pieces that you need on a navigation point of view and and and, and this is important on a, on the navigation piece i mean you've you've always had the had the quality database with respect to the navigation and uh, the to me the part of the issue is is that there are really two pieces of data out there when you're when you're moving around there's the sort of static data it may just be static for the last 5 minutes but at least it's static and then there's the 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 dynamic data which is the other cars the pedestrians and so on they're they're not in your database they're not in their database either yeah. that that all has to come out of the sensors that has to come out of real time that has to come out of measurements that i do relative to my nose at that particular instant of time and so on and so um you know i think as you found you you've done very well with the database that you've provided out there to the to the industry to, yeah. to do the, the Tell us about some of some of the partners that you're working with. Yeah, yeah. So I think you you raise a, a a very good and true point here is that like the differentiation isn't coming at the high definition map specification because anyone with with money and anyone with resources they can they can build against largely the specs that maybe aren't standardized but uh, are largely agreed upon by everyone. These are the attributes that a self-driving car needs from a high-definition map. Now, the battleground is about how to keep that map fresh. Because as soon as you publish version one of that map, um, then the second after it's published, it's now out of date. Because something has changed, a road has been closed, there's been an accident, uh, there's a construction site, uh, what have you. And so the battle is really about access to, to data. About the delivery mechanism and how to do that Correct. and do that appropriately, and it's not to the onesies, twosies. It's the everybody out there, Correct. or or a large fleet of vehicles. Otherwise, if it's only onesies, twosies, there's no business there. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the application itself um, is very difficult then to really think about large consumer adoption, because if uh, OEM one is seeing things but not communicating to OEM two, then the user experience is broken. Then every car on the road is reacting to situations. And then um, us, although we live and breathe this technology, I think we would be the first ones to say, I'm not paying to sit in a car while I'm holding my coffee and reading a newspaper that's reacting to situations. And uh, every, every, every situation that comes around the corner, I'm, uh, I'm spilling my coffee because the car is slamming on its brakes or it's changing lanes. So the fact of collaboration, collaboration around data sets, 
um, that's that's really the the battleground here. And this is where we are, at least today, a bit differentiated in the market because we're working with partners like BMW, Daimler, and Audi, who are already contributing live sensor data from their connected fleets of vehicles, um, upwards of the millions amount of vehicles that are reporting to our platform around dynamic changes in the road network, heartbreaking occurrences that happen, sign changes, slippery road. Um, this is happening today and we're building um, discrete services that we're marketing already and, and commercializing out to the public. It's now in the form of, of APIs that we can license to our customers, more for the navigation context or connected ADAS context. But the principle of this is that this is the first instance, one of, of car manufacturers that heavily compete, fiercely compete, um, sharing data together for the betterment of the industry. But two, it's the first instance that we're really seeing of car to cloud to car. We call this the feedback loop, where we're identifying change in the real world. We're aggregating that change. We're making updates to the, to the, to the understanding of the road network that we have and delivering that back down. And that mechanism is, is the requirement for self-driving cars. That's what we call self-healing. Um, that's what we call a self-maintaining map. Um, and there we, although the scale of three car manufacturers doesn't solve every problem, um, but it gives us a head start, certainly. Um, and now the, the battle is we need to bring in other data, data providers, volume manufacturers in the regions of APAC in, in, in North America, because um, yeah, in major cities in Europe, and we can share with you some of the visualizations that we have, like in, in Paris, um, in Munich, in Berlin, uh, in London, like we have a pretty good representation of the road network by the data that's being reported to, to our cloud. Um, so for me, that's that's really that's really the battleground. Yeah, well, th that feedback mechanism is is a real opportunity for you because, in some sense, you're having your customers uh, help you out to Definitely. improve the data, and everybody's happy for it. So yeah. you know, it's it's a, it's that cooperation that takes place, and that, that really enhances it for everybody. So yeah. it's great that you're doing it, and yeah. and you have the, the the place where you sit is uh, is a, gives you an opportunity to do that, and it's great that you're doing that yeah definitely and um as much as i would love it to be goodwill from our customers saying uh here here's our data for the betterment of your <laughs> product uh unfortunately it doesn't work that way today but uh there's there's business models behind this and, yeah, and right, actually right. one yeah, one yeah. of the one of the very interesting things when we look at harvesting data from the vehicle is that data it, it's it's not new maybe in some in some trim levels we have new sensors that can capture new data, but uh, largely the OEMs have had access to data for many years, but ha have not known what to do with it. And now through different applications and, and sharing data for, for map healing purposes is one, um, now we can offer our OEM customers not only a way to help um, maintain our database for the betterment of, of their technology and their vehicles, but also we can help monetize data that hasn't been monetizable before. And one very simple example is there's stability sensors in vehicles that can be able to identify potholes uh, on the streets of Las Vegas. And uh, 
we're very confident that the city of Las Vegas would be very interested to understand uh, where those potholes are so they can do very efficient road maintenance work um, in, a, in a timely manner, um, in a real-time manner. And Come do it in New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I live in, I live in Chicago, and, uh, and we have a very terrible road network with potholes, and we have some visualizations of that as well. That's quite interesting. Um, but that's... That you, you can also tell them where they, where they don't have paint, and they should be out there with paint because you're, you're also putting that out there, and, and that's part of one of your data elements out there. And with respect to the real time, I mean, we have these slip sensors in cars. Yep. I mean, geez, uh, you, have a, you have a location, you have... Uh, you have a slip maybe there's ice there you know at which is the classic sort yep. of uh, yep. uh, self-healing part of the darn thing yeah, exactly yeah. so for more information on, on everything that you're doing Alex where can our listeners go yeah so encourage you to visit us at uh, here.com um, there you can find out uh, all we're doing in terms of building this new reality um, uh, a data-driven reality you can look at the solutions we're putting out to the market to the industries that we play in so um, yeah please visit us at, at here.com and uh, you'll find everything that, that, that you need uh, to learn more about us and and also contact us if, if you're interested in uh, in any kind of uh, partnerships or or uh, customer engagements well congratulations on all that you're doing and Alex, we really appreciate you joining us. Thank you very much. It's yeah. been a pleasure. Great having you, Alex. Thank you. Our next guest on the Smart Driving Cars podcast is Mike Payton, Vice President for the Americas at BMW Motorrad. Thank you for joining us, Mike. You betcha. Glad to be with you. And people might wonder, what, what are we doing talking about motorcycles here on Smart Driving Cars? But you're showing off something pretty cool here at CES. We are. So uh, BMW Motorrad's joining uh, the BMW Group here on site at CES, and we're showcasing a self-riding motorcycle. Self-riding motorcycle. Tell tell us tell <laughs> us the nitty gritty of how this works. So the you know the general gist is so on the car side we obviously uh, you know are working on autonomous technologies. Uh, so the next question then is, well, what does that look like when you have motorcycles uh, in, a, in an autonomous world? So we have a stock R1200GS, and we've essentially outfitted it with uh, different technologies that allowed it, allow it to you know, ride by itself. And it's, uh, what's cool about it is it's completely using rider inputs. So anything that a normal rider would be doing, braking, shifting, and so on, uh, there's no... Um, uh, gyroscopic technologies that are being used and so it's completely you know something that we're able to um, operate it's not like a remote control bike we're giving it inputs we'll tell the bike it needs to make a right turn a left turn and then the bike will decide how it needs to navigate uh, that request so that's just, that's essentially how it works I'm not the uh, I'm not the technical guy or the engineer behind it they're obviously here uh, showcasing the bike but that's essentially how the bike works so there's some self-balancing part of it too while it's stationary or what are you doing with that? So there's, there are, there's no self-balancing so the, there are uh, side stands on either side of the so bike. training wheels of some es- form. Essentially. Right? So when the bike stops, yeah. uh, the bike will typically, which is, which is a little beyond the norm, it'll, it'll lean to the right. right. So there's a, a right-hand side stand. Most side stands on the left-hand side. Um, but aside from that, there Again, there's nothing that keeps it up other than the movement of the bike. So when it does come to a stop, that's why we need to have a, a stand on each side so the bike's able to lean over. And people might wonder, well, why would you have a, 
a riderless motorcycle since, since it's not taking anybody anywhere. Yeah, well, but, you know. But there, there are, I'm sure there are very practical purposes in terms of the technology that you're developing for safety, et cetera, of yeah. why this is important. Think of how fast you could get your pizza. <laughs> um, no, so, I mean, really... Really what we're looking at is when you start talking about all the things that are going on with the, you know, connected environments, uh, the, the Internet of Things, where you start getting, getting more and things that are, that are connected. The cars are connected to the road. The buildings are, are communicating. Um, you're starting to now get into a much more advanced environment. When you talk about autonomous cars, then the next question is, well, how does an autonomous car react to a motorcycle that's lane splitting, as a for instance? And so what we're really trying to do is to talk about how do motorcycles and the motorcycle industry, how does it integrate into this evolving space? And so while this product that we're showing today, um, it's not interacting or acknowledging really anything around it. It's just a product that's, that's riding on itself. It's using some of those technologies. But then the next step, which is really kind of the, you know, the further down the road, is how do you start talking about that product and other products interacting with each other? So when you have cars on, uh, you know, operating autonomously, um, we need to make sure that riders are safe. Uh, you start thinking about autonomous technology that uh, if a product is able to warn a rider that you're coming too hot into a corner, uh, your lean angle is too severe to, to be safe, um, you could have something that's just an alert system to a, to a rider that's not really doing anything to control the bike, or you could have something that actually starts to provide or change some of the inputs on the bike, which keeps As the rider safer. And some some cars today. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so there's, and there's things like, uh, if you think about um, cruise control, you know, and the automatic cruise control and things like that, uh, there's certainly other other applications that make a lot of sense on a motorcycle as well, because, you know, why would you not want to have something that helps you, you know, gauge the speed of traffic and so on? So I think there's there's other technologies we have today that, that you know, you'll see applied more and more in the future. And then this is an example of we're, we're starting to take that next step to say, well, how do you start to have motorcycles playing that autonomous environment? So, so is part of the uh, objective here that I can't crash? In other words, uh, it's almost like stability control. I can't lose my rear end if I'm going around. I mean, is that to the extent that you've taken it, or, or where are you in that process? Yeah, so I, I think so. You're probably one one further step down the road, mm-hmm. um, but it, but it does it does beg the question that if I can help you be a better rider, right? Uh, right. Because because now the the bike is monitoring what you're doing right. and it knows what should happen and what right. shouldn't happen, right. um, but that that also helps you be a safer rider. And so I think that is the that is the next step. That's not where we're at right now with this product, uh, but that is one of those next steps that starts to beg the question of, well, um, would you like the choice as a rider of having your product I- interact? It's if you think about a, a car today that has a, a lane change feature, that you'll say, I wanted to make a left uh, left hand uh, lane change, and if there's a, something in the blind spot, the car will actually bring you back over into the lane right, right? that technology right. exists today making a mistake, right? so you may or may not want that technology you may say well it's cool but i don't want that you know preventing me from doing what i want to do and and we want to make sure that there's that that flexibility so how, how do you think you're going to get to that point i mean you, you face that same point in the cars you, you say geez I want to give, let the driver, you know, have all this stuff, but yeah. you know, really, uh, 
you know, this is going to get you in trouble. So how do you, how do you begin to approach that point? Or it's well, tough, right? Yeah, the, the most important part is we've got to start with what the customer's looking for. Right. We've got to start with what riders are looking for. Right. Um, you know, the, the dangerous part of, I think, all of this, this, how things are evolving in the autonomous world is you could certainly have somebody that says, hey, this road with all these autonomous cars, this would certainly be a lot safer if we didn't have motorcycles on it to deal with oh, well, because that's, an, that's another variable, yeah, right? That's, that's another so variable. so we, need, we need to be careful about you know, where things unintentionally go. Right. But, but I think make, making sure we have the ability for someone to have a, uh, a choice on do they want to apply some of these technologies, do they want to just have these technologies available as something that makes them aware um, but I think that's 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 going to be the next step of, of what do we do with this and how do we work with, work with this. And, of course, uh, BMW is showing off a lot more here at CES as well, including the, the, the INEX technology in many yeah. of the vehicles. Yeah, for sure. And and even when you take the INEX vehicle, uh, when you take the the Vision bike we did recently with our 100th anniversary uh, a year or so ago, you know that was a bike that was using gyroscopic technology. That was a bike that was self-balancing. Um, so there, there are you know, other technologies we're, we're looking at, considering, working on, uh, that we're not necessarily sh- showcasing here today. And, and for sure, that's one thing that is, is paramount at BMW, BMW Motorrad, that we're always, you know, we're, we're very focused on performance technology, innovation, and, and of course here, you know, today we're very much focused on the innovation piece of it. And when you tell people you've got a riderless motorcycle at your booth, you're going to draw a crowd. <laughs> yeah, and, and, we, and we have so already. I mean, you, you look at it, and whether you're a rider or not, you can't help say it's like, you know, that is pretty cool. And even as a rider, so, you know, I've been, I've been riding for 15 years or so. I'm sure we've had some folks in the audience that are riders as well. And, you know, on one hand, you can say, well, oh, you know, who would want a, an autonomous motorcycle? But when you think about what it's doing... Uh, you can really appreciate that uh, it is kind of a feat. I think our engineers have done a really nice job uh, putting this all together, making it capable. You know, it is still an early prototype, so it's not completely foolproof, but it is something that's that's really cool. At least it showcases that you know we need to think about motorcycles as well as we start getting in this evolving space. Well, the, the opportunity to protect your customers from you know getting themselves between a rock and a hard place Absolutely. and helping them out. I mean you know sometimes they may not really want that, but you're doing you're doing somewhat of a service. I don't know that everybody can be the professional driver can have Keith code you know just well, train them so that you know. Yeah. But if you got it to a point where Keith would would like it, I, you know that might be that might be that's a, that's a good place to have. Well, right? you, you, you mentioned Keith, and you, so you start talking about, for instance, the new Double R. Yeah. That product now has, you know, that product's gotten a lot lighter. It's gotten a lot more powerful. The, the electronics on that and the capability for a rider to customize how they want that bike to interact, like if they're riding on the a road or on the track, um, those are things that have certainly become much more tangible and much more today because there's, there's you know, great new technology available in motorcycles today. And we've always been known as as trying to be an innovator, an industry leader in that space. This is an example where we're trying to, you know, push our own boundaries and continue in that regard. Terrific. Mike Payton, thanks for joining us. You betcha. Thank you for inviting me over. Great nice to see you guys. Nice to have you. Thanks. Nice to have you. Well, joining us now is another great guest from Canatu, the Vice President of Technology, Ilka Varios. Thank you for joining us, Ilka. Thank you very much. Tell us about uh, Canatu. What do you do? We do uh, touch sensors and heating elements uh, with free form factor. 
So and and it's based on our novel nanomaterial carbon nanobot. It's a transparent conductor, which is freely stretchable and foldable. So that's kind of enabling this free fall factor. All right. Well, describe for us what you're doing here at CES, what you're showing, who you're meeting with, that kind of thing, and uh, and and why the technology is important in this space. Well, our target market uh, is automotive industry, so we are meeting OEMs and tier ones and, and, and suppliers of automotive industry. And at our booth, we are showcasing these touch sensors and heating elements, uh, so three-dimensional. When I say free form factor, I mean three-dimensional. So, for instance, for touch sensors, uh, the designers can, well, you are not anymore restricted to, like, uh, tile-like uh, designs or 2D design, but rather the uh, touchscreen displays and digital input devices can be shaped into well into natural shapes. At the same time, those 3D shapes enable like intuitive user experience because you can generate the muscle memory a little bit like with the mechanical buttons. So it's not anymore like a sleek 2D surfaces that your finger is interacting with, but rather there can be grooves and recesses and so forth. So that's uh, what we demonstrate also at our booth. In addition, the heating elements. Uh, the heating elements are used, they are transparent heating elements, so they are used in uh, LIDARs, radars and cameras like uh, enabling self-driving features of cars. And now that you can make those into 3D shapes, you can embed the, those uh, sensors in like seamlessly into bumpers and different parts of the car exterior. Tell us why that's uh, important, what, what you're doing here. Well, uh, because, uh, obviously, we're talking about being able to use this technology in different weather conditions. It yeah. sounds like you're helping with that. Yeah, in terms of those heaters, that's exactly what we do, because uh, if you don't have heated lenses, they work fine in the Californian sun or in a dry and warm environment, but going to colder climates, then... Uh, once you should mention you're from Finland. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, but, like, then... Well, then they are the the operation is compromised. So basically, they do not do not work if there is a buildup of snow or ice. So the heating elements resistively heat up and get you get rid of the ice. And so basically, you can work in every condition. In terms of those touch sensors, there's also safety aspects. So now that you you can use them, I mean, now that they are intuitive use and you can build up a muscle memory, you can, you don't have to look at the like let's say the center console uh, display while you operate uh, because you would should be looking at the road so now that you can find them plighted with your finger you can operate the system and drive at the same time yeah so uh, let's get back to the sensors I mean the key thing is is to have continuous operation of the sensors and so uh, rain uh, ice snow is absolutely key to be able to remove from from being an impediment to the sensor. I mean, it's key, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So how well, how well do, do these uh, heaters function? I mean, what, what's been your experience with this uh, in, let's say, LIDARs in snow? So come again, like how, do, how well they work, how, you mean? How well do they work? Well, they, they work well and they are fast because uh, traditionally, how these heating elements are done you heat up the lens from the sides you have a, like a, a copper wire or something that is uh, on the side of the lens and and uh, then the response time is much lo uh, longer so as our transparent conductor is covering the whole lens 
it immediately starts to heat up the the whole lens and in, in addition the so it's completely transparent yeah it's completely transparent so it can cover the whole lens of the device so it it simultaneously uh, immediately starts to heat up the whole lens and and it's uh, because not only because of the good conductivity of the CMP material but also like good electrical conductivity but also it has a very good uh, heat conductivity uh, these nanocarbons so it's kind of a let's say sweet spot application for us and it provides no interference to either cameras lidars or radars that's a very good question because as it's based on carbon uh, as you can imagine carbon doesn't reflect light or scatter light unlike the metal based uh, solutions so the yeah, the signal is very crisp because of that yeah so i mean that's absolutely necessary otherwise uh, these systems aren't going to work right so you, yeah. you're necessary to the industry is that what you're telling them <laughs> yeah absolutely i mean we see a lot of a lot of interest on that and now the those can you, can you talk about uh, any of the partners that you that you have or are developing? Well, for instance, what is public? I can tell that the Denso is interested in our technology, and if you go to Denso booth, you can see also our demonstrators there. So I mean, those uh, optical sensors are now at the stage that uh, people are starting to look into. Not only like fundamentally do they work in the first place, but also in every every environment so now it's a very good timing for us also to promote this uh, solution yes uh, and can you tell us anything about what it does to the price of uh, of these systems uh, is it is it infinitesimal compared to what the cost of the fundamental lidar is it must be right uh, or not how much are you adding to the cost well Obviously, I mean, I cannot talk about prices here. Right, no, but, uh, we, we don't want to talk yeah, about but it's, it's a fraction. It's a fraction. It's, it's I mean, a, it's a small fraction. yeah, very small fraction. So it, it's not that it's making them, uh, you know, now uh, exorbitantly expensive. It's just that now they, you know, the uh, the uh, they can be used in different environmental conditions, which is I, key. I guess yeah, it, it's no accident that a lot of the testing here in the U.S. is being done in places like Arizona, where they don't encounter these issues, but Obviously, yeah. for yeah. the for the real world, you've yeah. got to go way beyond that. For them to come to New Jersey or Finland, guess yeah. what? Yeah. <laughs> They're going to yeah. need it. Exactly. For more information, where can people go about your technology? Uh, at this show, people can come, come to our booth uh, and or Denso booth, and then uh, to our website www.kanatu.com. And it's spelled C-A-N-A-T-U.com. Ilka Varios, thank you for taking the time with us. Thank you very very much great having you. That's it for this special edition of the Smart Driving Cars podcast from CES. We want to thank our guests for joining us. You can find us at smartdrivingcar.com, find my tech reports at techstination.com. Stay tuned for more, and thanks for listening.